welcome back to Invasion of the Poddy Snatchers. I'm Neil. And I'm Paddy. Neil, what are we watching today? Today we're watching Laura, uh, an unusual film noir from 1944 starring Jean Tierney. Okay, well, I've never seen this and I have absolutely no idea of what this film is. What can you tell me about about it? Who's the director? So it's um, directed by Otten Preminger. He's just moving into English language films, having been in Germany for a while. And obviously this is the start of the Second World War, so he's now moved to Hollywood to escape the problems. To there. escape the, the, the problems. We're the, calling it the problems. We're calling the Second World War a small problem in okay. Europe. Yeah. Let's move. Yeah, okay. Now I've heard of Preminger, and I am not entirely sure why. I think he directed Exodus from the 60s, but what else has he done? Why else would I know him? Um, he's also done uh, things with Sinatra, like The Man with the Golden Arm. Uh, he's also done Carmen Jones, Paul G. and Bess, Anatomy of the Murder with Jimmy Stewart. And Ooh, of course... There's a couple of classics in there. I'm not forgetting the big part of his uh, cinematic oeuvre, uh, playing Mr. Freeze in the 60s Batman. <laughs> right, obviously that's the key thing. But just going back to some of his lesser works, The Man with the Golden Arm is, is a really brilliant film. A very difficult film as well for the time. Uh, yeah, study of um, addiction and Sinatra playing the addict. Yes. Yeah. Um, really difficult, really intense film at the time. Yeah, so Autumn Preminger, I think, is directing films that are a bit more complex for the times and therefore not so well known these days, perhaps, by the general public because they're not repeated so often. Sure. So is that why you've chosen this one? Well, I've chosen this one because in my early 20s, I developed a, an obsession with Vincent Price and I had to watch everything he was in. And this is one of those films. So my, my guess is this features Vincent Price. Yes, it does. Are there vampires? No. Shame. It's not okay. a horror film. Shall we watch it? Yes, let's watch it. Okay, great. Um, let's start the movie. Okay, so that was the end of the film. How did you find it, Paddy? I did not like it. Oh, sorry. Dear. I'm really oh, sorry. I know that you... That's the end of the podcast, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think we should probably start by discussing the plot of the film, which is actually quite an interesting thing. The film's got an interesting plot. It definitely I think, has. I think it's a unique storyline, isn't it? Yeah. So we start with a detective investigating the murder of a young woman called Laura Hunt, who's found shot in her apartment. He's t- he's interviewing her mentor called Waldo Lidecker, played by Clifton Webb. Yes, a, a big long set of flashbacks as Lidecker explains how he met Laura and how he promoted her career and how she was generally the most wonderful human being who's ever stepped on the, the earth. Even in those flashbacks, he portrays himself as cruel, waspish. Arrogant. Arrogant, yeah, very self-centred. But we also meet Diane Redfern, the model. We meet... The Boyfriend, played by Vincent Price. Shelby um, Carpenter. Shelby Carpenter, great name. We meet Bessie the Maid, who is absolutely devoted to Laura. During this period, the detective Mark is obviously becoming infatuated with Laura. He's falling for a dead body, something that we'd expect more from Vincent Price, I think. Uh, Yes, perhaps not at this point in his career, but yeah. (laughs) You don't expect Vincent Price to play the gigolo at this point (laughs) Well, no, he is playing the gigolo. He's a really... Um, seedy, sort of sleazy guy, isn't a he? A parasite. Yeah. 
Yeah. So he's leeching off at least three women. But he's so charming. You go say, you say charming, I say slimy. Then Laura reappears back in her apartment. To everyone's surprise, Paddy. To everyone's surprise. And her and Mark the detective are instantly attracted to each other. And we don't need to go into too much detail, but the investigation now proceeds in a fairly routine detective story kind of way. Yeah, it becomes much more a, a, a quick whodunit, doesn't it? Yes. Rather than an investigation of her life. And it concludes with Waldo, the obsessed older man, trying to stage a murder-suicide, which is prevented heroically by... Well, actually, by by Laura. By Laura and the other detective shoots him. Yes. Who hasn't been in this movie. Who's so previously McIntyre. not appearing in this Oh, well, he had been in the film. He'd been downstairs listening in. Ah, right. Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, so it's a film which, I mean, some of the interesting things about it, it crosses a lot of genres. Let's talk about where we feel this film sits in terms of a genre. I mean, these days it's viewed very much as a noir, an unusual noir, but I don't think you agree totally with that. No, I didn't really. It felt more of a melodrama and a detective story. There are elements of the story that are noir-ish in that it follows a murder. But I think that's about where it finishes, as far as a noir goes. You not feel the obsession of the characters and the general sleaziness of some of it is? Do you not think that that fits more into a melodrama? I mean, possibly, yes. I mean, so, you know, something Joan Crawford or Betty Davis? Yeah, that they would have started, yeah. I mean, 40s pictures are full of uh, very strong female leads, marketed as women. You know, the box office attraction is that the women... The, the female lead. There's a lot of things like Mrs. Miniver, um, Sunset Boulevard. These are characters, these are films which I feel this is closer to. And it doesn't feel like it was shot as a noir film either. It doesn't use any of the techniques, the dark lighting, the, the heavy shadows, any unusual angles of the cameras, except just once, I think there's one scene near the end. One brief shot near the end where they frame... Waldo as he's about to carry out the killings. Um, other than that, it seems very much to avoid using those techniques. It just be, just doesn't need to for the melodrama. No, so you don't feel it sits in that noir style at all. For not the, really, not even for me. the period. I, I know noir is often applied in retrospect to pictures. So I wonder if that then meant they did. They they're not making this picture as a noir film at the time. They're making a melodrama murder mystery detective story it's still a mishmash of genres really even as he's as we say that isn't it it is a mishmash and yeah and it is unlike anything we've seen okay yeah so i didn't feel it's a noir and i was i mean that may be partly why i'm disappointed because i do enjoy as you know and we both do love the film noir detective hard-boiled things but this wasn't it no it's it, it's quite different isn't it it's quite not to say a gentler picture because the storyline is still quite tough, but it isn't as hard-boiled as you say. And the characters aren't quite the same you would find. I know they talk about a classless American society, but in this you've got Walter Dydecker, who is a complete snob. Absolutely. It's um, about breeding for him as much as anything etiquette, not necessarily, not just having lots of money. And that, Yes, and also Shelby Carpenter is a wealthy, formerly wealthy person who is exploiting women to maintain his lifestyle. Laura herself has used or taken advantage of opportunities given by Waldo in order to become wealthy. Yes, she has, actually. It's, it's, you could over, easily overlook the fact that she's the user as much as the used, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But we 
have characters there who are not cynical, but they're exploitative. Unlike a Bogart noir, for example, where the character has his heart in the right place, even though he's been beaten down by cynicism. These guys are massively successful, rich, or and, and just awful for their sake for the sake of it. Yeah, they have it all, don't they? I mm-hmm. mean, they throw it away for not trivial circumstances, but they, yeah. yeah. So yeah, not a noir. Also, not a film I enjoyed. Okay, so that's some of the issues you've had. That so, what did you like about it? Anything at all? <laughs> yes, there's lots I liked about the way that the film was made and the and the cinematography and the shooting of it. Clever shots where there's lots of dolly tracking, which is technically advanced at the time, and dolly pans, which stay in focus, which is... Yeah, I mean, some of those whip pans, I mean, it goes from one character to the next, and that is incredibly difficult because it's someone actually operating the camera. Yeah, yeah, it's really clever. It's really technically clever to do that. Also, great exteriors, which we were both, we were discussing, they're done outside and in the rain, which at the time... It's a challenging thing to set up, and the night the night shots, the exterior night shots are really good. Yeah, they're fantastically well done, aren't they? With all the pouring rain, the atmosphere there is really ramped up. Yeah, and unfortunately, it doesn't really follow through to the acting, which we'll talk about later. I also liked, I liked the way that there we were often shooting through things. Um, there was a lot of scenes where we were shooting through a through a display case, or we were following a character into something or we using start, reflections. Yeah, we start with somebody looking at themselves in the mirror, we don't quite realise it and then it moves away. And... Yeah, you know, little tricksy shots like that which make me happy. Yeah. I like that. I didn't think it was enough to carry the film though. Right, yes. Did did you not, You weren't engaged enough with the characters here? No, I really didn't. I didn't engage. It, I had five minutes of being quite, five, ten minutes of being really interested in the Waldo character and but he's too unpleasant he is not charming and he needs to be charming as a character his role is his role is he's the mentor he's the mentor to the ingenue Laura who he helps to find uh, he helps raise her up from being a stenographer to being a creative in an advertising agency obviously she's very grateful for this but he doesn't do it because he th- likes her work. He does it because he fancies her. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? he? He He's not doing it out of a sense of her either, is it? It's everything he wants, he feels she should want. Oh, absolutely. So he makes her listen to Sibelius and Brahms. Yeah, it's his tastes yeah. super supplanting her taste. But actually, we get subtle hints that she's always retained her likes and interests. But we can accept all of those kind of horrible things about a character if they're charming we can recognize that i mean this this kind of character where you know the exploitative older man Hmm. is a trope it's done a lot but it has to be charming you have to accept that that person has enough warmth to them enough person personability i've just invented a word personability that the young woman 24 i think she is at this time would actually be interested. This is he's a git. He's not nice. You wouldn't want to be in a room with him, no matter how much he helps your career. Although she's not indicating that she's fallen in love with him. She's not giving him any you know, even by the coded terms of like nineteen forty cinema, I don't think she's saying that she's in love with him or fancies him in any way. She's not 
She's been dating. She's been dating him. Yeah, they've been, they've been going on dates. He thinks that they've got a relationship in that sense. He certainly does, but I don't think she considers him in the same way. True, but that's not even my biggest problem. Okay, Dana Andrews as Mark, the detective, is a god. He's awful. Sorry. I really did not enjoy his performance. He's not quite a piece of wood walking through this, though, is he? He's no, not... no, he's he's a he's an accomplished action star. But this is like putting Steven Seagal into Notting Hill and expecting him to play the romantic lead. It doesn't work even slightly. He doesn't emote, does it? I mean, it would be a big ask of any actor to say, right at this point, the woman you've fallen in love with, who's dead, has just come back to life and walked into the room. Yes. Yeah, true. That is a difficult role, one which he manages to make impossible through his re- reaction. True, this is a really difficult thing to do, but he he makes no actual attempt to respond in any way. He just blanks. Yeah, he doesn't really give much away, does he? He's still playing the uh, the white hat in the in the western picture, isn't yeah, he? Throughout. Yeah. Yeah, the horse is more emotive than he is. He's, sort of yeah, role. he's he's an act, he's an actor who's had a really strong action career but this is this is outside of his capabilities i think i think this this might come from like 20th century fox at the time only just establishing its um stable of stars and he's the next best thing they've got really well they've also got they've got wartime this is made in war sure there's a lot of the big stars that could have played in this are actually off fighting or doing other work and i guess there's a limit to who's available I mean, I, I think in an ideal world, you might have wanted Jimmy Stewart. I was just thinking exactly the same thing. The echoes then with Vertigo would have been yeah, too much, wouldn't they? It, it could have been brilliant with him. And also, I would say you wanted David Niven as the older... Lidecker character. Yeah, yeah. Playing, playing it a lot lighter. Could have and, been, And then making it actually, the contrast being more sinister when it comes to the yes. reveal. Yeah, Because I know they cast uh, Clifton Webb, who hadn't been in movies for almost 20 years at this point, because they didn't want to alert the audience to the fact that he was the killer. And yet, actually, on this viewing, it was like the flashbacks are just serving to tell the detective that, hello, I'm the killer. <laughs> you know? Sure. I didn't actually twig the whole story through. I didn't think she'd been murdered, but I did think she'd faked her own death. Mm-hmm. When So when she came back through the door, I was like, yeah, obviously. But... Whereas that floored me the first time I saw it. That was like, whoa, what's happened here? I think I might have watched too many M. Night Shyamalan films. True. Uh, well, possibly you watched the Magnum P.I. remake. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. And it was great. And it has Lovejoy in it. <laughs> Mr. Ian McShane, what, as, uh, as Light? Um, as Lidecker, yeah. As Lidecker. Yeah, as the producer. He's a movie producer who can't cope with his uh, young starlet being in love with someone else. This sounds a reasonable retelling, actually. I'm going to tell you, let's watch the Bagnum P.I. one, and then I'll be much happier. You don't want to watch the Steven Seagal remake? Please, no. Well, okay. I'm up for that. Uh, Let's go and see that. I mean, yeah, you didn't feel Clifton Webb as Lydecker was uh, suited to the role either, even though he was Oscar-nominated for this. He's a Broadway actor who's come across. He carries a big reputation, I think. Yes, I mean, he's he's good friends with Noel Coward. He's appearing in Blind Spirit immediately prior to making this film and and I think 20th Century Fox put a lot of effort into promoting this film as Oscar bait they get five noms yeah ha noms <laughs> nom nom noms and they win for cinematography which is fair it's a black and white cinematography to be fair which is reasonable it's it's I, I said it's uh, 
very creatively filmed. I mean, sure. I mean, the the other cinematographers are going to be looking at this and noting everything that's, oh, how did you do that? And yeah. Yeah, this is interesting stuff. I'm not sure at any point anything there is absolutely groundbreaking. It's just all done very well. I, I bet that if we go and look, we'll see dolly pans done elsewhere. We'll see other really good exterior rain shots. And certainly I don't think that shooting through furniture or shooting in reflection is new, but it was just done very well. And there's something about Gene Tierney's performance which isn't quite there all the time, isn't it? I mean, it's typical that she can have beautiful close-ups and blah, blah, blah. But I know she was second choice and she kind of resented that for this film. And it's surprising that actually she doesn't get that much to do. She has no agency in this. No. And yet it's written by a woman. It's The book is written by a woman. It's screenplay is um, two men and a woman. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're right, she has no agency. She has no control over what's going to happen. As a female character, the writing does not serve her very well. She is a character who has things happen to her rather than making anything happen for herself. She doesn't come up with a solution to the problem. She has no idea who's murdered the girl. No. But she's just running around the men still, isn't she? Yeah, she also has no agency or input. The only time she has any drive or dynamism is in the first scene where she goes to see Lydecker at bre- at his breakfast, dinner, whatever, and tries to get him to endorse a pen. Yeah. So that she can get a promotion. And that's what that's her in there. And she Jean Tierney um actually I felt was quite bubbly, engaging, lively, in a way that she's not through the rest of the film. Yeah, very much she's just a still life. Much like the portrait that's hanging in her room, she's very beautiful to look at, but she's not really doing very much. Um, it's surprising because, you know, other films like Ghost of Mrs. Muir and so on, she's far more engaging. In I think perhaps she's reacting to the script, the story, because the only time when the character is driven and driving is that first scene. The rest of the time it's a flat and reactive character. Yeah. I might be trying to justify what is a pretty poor... A pretty flat performance. Yeah. Another thing is that in every scene, the characters do seem to just be doing their lines. They're not responding to anybody else at any point. Yeah, they're spitting out the lines as fast as they can, but without those pauses and reactions and the real integration of it. Do you actually feel that, or are you just agreeing with me? I could be just agreeing with you. I feel that Vincent Price is fantastic no matter what he's doing. You know, I mean, there's stuff, there's the hand-holding between him and... Laura's aunt that's going on. There's lots of business they worked out together. Now, that's partly their theatre backgrounds coming to the fore here. Well, if we're talking about business, there's the business that Dana Andrews has with the little (laughs) baseball trick thing, which is just irrelevant and random at every opportunity. Oh, that's another thing that annoyed me. It's the weirdest bit of the whole thing. You You think in somebody else's hands it would be engaging somehow or pointed, but in this it's just blunt, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, there was a lot of background hoo-ha with this film. The original director was fired well into shooting. Um, Because Preminger's the producer and wanted to make it, but was overruled by the studio head, but then kept going back and going, this is rubbish. Yeah, I mean, apparently he's he's telling the actors, do it this way, and then they go to see Zanuck, the the overall studio head, and the original director, Robert Mamoulian, saying, well, I... I told you it was rubbish to do it this way. And Premage is going, no, I told you it was rubbish to do this way. And Dana Andrews is sat in the middle going, you both told me 
<laughs> well, I think that isn't it the case as well that by the time that Preminger takes over, the entire cast are convinced that he hates their work. Yes, which must have some effect. It, it, yeah, it must do. It, it must inhibit their performances in some way. Although I think all of them go on to work with him again. I mean, that might be the part of the contract system with Twentieth uh, Century Fox, but sure, it's still something they could get out of if they really didn't want to do. And certainly by the following year. Jean Tin is the biggest star Fox have. She stars in um, Leave Her to Heaven, which is the biggest hit Fox had in the 1940s. It's one of the biggest films of the entire 1940s. It's another one that's slipped under the radar. Yeah, I mean, partly that's because it stars Jean Tierney, who by the time the 1950s arrived was no longer the star of her own pictures. She's subservient to the male stars yeah. again of the period. Is that I th- we were talking that that's partly because of the advent of TV? You have the theory that the melodramas, this type of film, you, your suggestion was that they get supplanted by soaps. Yeah, I think so. I think you know, you spend a dollar or so to go see a movie, and yet you could sit at home and watch something just as engaging for free on the television. And soap operas fill a huge amount of uh, viewing time, I think, for people rather than going out. To a cinema that cinemas are increasingly dingy places, not well kept. As the audiences go down, mm-hmm. you know you got the the Premier League cinemas are very well kept up in the side, but they're pricier. The flea pits literally are flea pits, right. and then you know the areas they're in are starting to go downhill and they're starting to close down. Cinemas constantly looking for gimmicks like Technicolor and so forth to get people in, but I think the storylines that people are looking for are on TV, and the soap operas fill that that role that a lot of these melodramas had. Yeah, that's a, we should probably explore that in our PhDs. So I think that pretty much brings us to a close on this, doesn't it? I think so. I mean, uh, it's a film that doesn't stand up to my memories of it, uh, much like The Outsiders, I think, the other yeah. week didn't. But, yeah, overall, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody else to watch unless they've got a particular interest in Vincent Price, for example, or uh, <laughs> film history, that sort of thing. But it still has good memories for me. It's a film I didn't enjoy because, I'm going to say, it's dated very much. It's really fallen from the mainstream to, I didn't enjoy it because it's dated. I think that's that's all I need to say. It's dated really badly. There it is. (laughs) Uh, Thanks very much for joining us again. And we'll see you next time on Invasion of the Potty Snatchers. Cheerio. Bye. (laughs) 